up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is Jimmy Davis. Welcome to the Moderate Podcast. This is episode number 29 for Friday, February 1st, 2019. Um, we are at themoderatepodcast.com. Um, Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash themoderatepodcast. And on Twitter, we are at themodpodcast1, number one. Um, you know, I was looking at my Facebook page, my own personal Facebook page, and you know, you get your memories that pop up, and um, you know, it's a sign that how fast life moves as you get older. Um, I have memory pop up that from six uh, six years ago, I believe, um, for when my boys started their first day of preschool, and now they're in third grade, and um, it doesn't seem like that long ago, and. You know, as as time goes on and life as life goes on, it seems to just move faster and faster. And I think, I think I've I've kind of figured out why that is. Because every second you live is a smaller fraction of your life than the second before. Right? When you turn two, you've just lived. You, you know, your time between one and two doubled your life. Right? So that one year is half your life. And that's why it seems like it's such a long time. Now, you don't even remember when you're two years old. But the point being is that, you know, by the time you're 10 years old, that last year was only a tenth, was, was a tenth of your life. And now when you're, when I, here I am going to be 40 this year, and now it's only, you know, a little more than 2% of my life. And so that, that, I think that is why it seems like time moves so much slower um, or actually so much faster as you get older, plus, you know, you get more and more going on, you have more and more on your plate. And um, obviously that really gets to um, the, the crux of it. But anyway, I digress. Um, today's episode, we're going to focus on um, local government stuff and a couple of uh, articles that I saw um, recently that really got me thinking about a couple of things. But I think... Um, Obviously, uh, being in local government, that that's what I do for a living. Um, I got, I have some, you know, unique insight, I believe, um, compared to the normal person. And so there's two articles I want to highlight and two issues that I want to highlight. But first, a couple of national news things. First of all, we did get another announcement of a, of a, a candidacy for president, um, Corey I am Spartacus Booker has officially announced that he is running for president well, to the surprise of absolutely no one. It's just now he's making it official, but he's been unofficially running since um, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings back in September, both him and Kamala Harris. And as we see more and more people coming out of the woodwork to declare their candidacy for president um, to run for the Democratic ticket, um, I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to see more and more about, oh my gosh, look how diverse this, their, uh, this, their, uh, this, the Democrats are and how many people, you know, look at, you have so many women and people of color and different, you know, ethnicities running and it's such a great thing. We're so diverse. That's why we are the, we are the party of inclusion. And, but at the end of the day, just because that's the case, whomever gets elected, if it's an, if it's a Democrat, you're still going to get the same agenda. So this is all 
this is not about you know being diverse and, and being inclusive. This is all about political points because that's a very chic thing right now. It's a very in thing to um, be diverse and that that is a very attractive thing to millennials and and, and actually and, and I get it I I, I I mean I've grown up in Southern California so I've been around every single race ethnic ethnicity that you can think of um, because you know Southern California is very diverse um, we actually have a lower African American population though than other areas of the country but we also have far fewer white people than other parts of the country. So um, it's just going to, but I think it's going to just get to the point where it's just like getting old that we're, you know, freaking, we're just, they're just going to cover it to death. I think we're just going to hear it ad nauseum is my, that's my prediction anyway. So I have a couple of things that I want to talk about with local issues local here in California but in it number one it gives you an idea of what kind of things we deal with here in California but number two it's stuff that that can be dealt with both at a local level within a state and but it can apply in other parts of the country as well outside of California especially the second issue I'm going to talk about because it does actually deal with cities nationwide but I'm going to focus on a California city that illustrates why you have to be very not skeptical, well, professionally skeptical. We call, in the accounting business, we call it being professionally, we call it professional skepticism. And so you have to be, you have to kind of read things with a fine-tooth comb. And if you don't, and if people, it seems like they try to take advantage of people's of lack of knowledge. Very few people really truly understand municipal finances. It's a, it's a complex subject. There's a lot goes that goes into it. And it's very easy to manipulate data and paint a picture to people that don't understand it, even people that are very intelligent, um, that are even people that are in the private sector in the finance and accounting world don't necessarily understand government accounting and the way it's done because the focus of government obviously is, is a, there's a different goal of government than there is in the private sector. You know, in the private sector, you're, there's a focus on profits. And so you want the balance sheets to reflect um, an accurate picture of the profitability and the viability of, of a, an entity so that those financial statements can be used to make decisions for lending and um, the stock market and things like that. So there's a different way you have to present the information in order to, give, to paint that picture accurately so that investors can make informed decisions. In government, because it's a service base, you're not making profits, and you're in it, and you have a lot of indirect revenue. That's what tax revenue is, right? It's it's you are paying taxes to get a slew of services that you might either directly or indirectly use. For example, police and fire, right? Police is there, and hopefully you'll never need to call them. But if they're not there then you would probably need them all the time because people are just, you know, you're just going to have total anarchy. Um, you want fire to be on standby all the time, 24-7, so that if there ever is a problem, they can they can come to, to serve you. If you just charge people for the people the, the times that they use it, that model wouldn't make any sense because you can put a cost on that call, 
But what about the cost of the times that they're not on a call, they're standing by waiting for that call to come in, and you want to have them always standing by in case you need them. You can't just assemble them when you're need, when, you know when when you actually need them. So that's why in order to really see the fiscal health of a city and the way it works, it, it kind of works differently because of that. So, and we're going to talk about how that can be manipulated to paint a picture um, to fit a narrative that you may have. <clears throat> so, and in the case that I'm going to look at, it may be just a clerical error, but they've done the same thing two years in a row. So I'm not, I, I don't buy that, that it is an error. But I digress. The city of Newport Beach, or excuse me, the city of Huntington Beach here in California is being sued by the city or by the state of California. Um, Gavin Newsom um, has filed a lawsuit that um, for against the city of Huntington Beach for failing to meet the state mandated, mandated housing goals. So you have these laws in place that require a certain amount of low and moderate income housing. Now, the way you get to that goal can be through a number of ways. You can have Section 8 low and moderate income housing, or you can even do senior housing that's for low and moderate income seniors to meet those goals. And you have to have a certain percentage of your developments, or at least in your general plan, designated for that purpose. That's kind of the the 50,000-foot level explanation of what needs to happen. But in California, you have two types, broadly, of two types of cities. You have general law cities and you have charter cities. And there's a lot of um, different types of those things all over the country. Other states have me have what they call home rule cities. Those are kind of like what charter cities are in California. And um, general law cities basically have to follow the state laws, guide, the state guidelines that are put out for them. General or um, charter cities have a charter that can regulate, they can regulate themselves. They have a lot more local control, right? So, and it's interesting because you can talk about states' rights versus federal, you know, and then you have also state rights versus local rights too. And there's a big, there's a big conflict, there's a lot of conflicts there as well. So charter cities can set a lot of their own regulations. There's a few things that they aren't allowed to set in their, um, that are under their purview, things in the California constitution that um, dictate that, okay, even charter cities have to abide by X, Y, and Z. But if it's not specifically stated that charter cities have to follow this in the California constitution, they're pretty much free to make decisions on their own um, in terms of zoning, in terms of the housing elements, like we're talking about here, the, the housing element of your general plan. So the problem is that because they're a a, um, a a charter city, there's plenty there's plenty of precedent to show that housing is considered a local or a municipal affair. And when you talk about a municipal affair, that means something that can be that that it can and should be handled at the local level. They need to be able to make decisions on their own. And so there's plenty of um, there's plenty of, pre- of of case law in addition to stuff in the California Constitution that absolutely allows Huntington Beach to dictate how they want to do their housing. If they don't want to have low and moderate income housing, 
There's nothing in the Constitution, in the California Constitution, that says they need to have that. But obviously, the state feels otherwise. Now, I don't think there's there, the the state is suing because they think they have a legitimate case. I think it's purely political, and it goes back to um, SB 54, which was passed in response to the Trump administration, for, in large part, basically making California a sanctuary state, and in in that. Um, the, the, the state law, SB 54, um, specifically prohibits local law enforcement with work for, from working with um, ICE agents and the federal government on immigration um, stuff. They don't, there is a, there's a requirement that they cannot communicate the legal status of somebody they have custody unless there's, there's, there's certain exceptions to that. But that's pretty much the crux of it. And there are several cities that passed resolutions or in the case of Huntington Beach were actually suing the um, state um, because of that law. And, of course, Jeff Sessions at the time, the attorney general at the time, also announced that he was suing the state of California, calling the law unconstitutional because California was overstepping its bounds from a, um, uh, that you know, they were stepping to the immigration um realm, which is the purview of the federal government. The Constitution is very clear on that. But they're not saying that the federal government can't enforce federal laws in California. What they're saying is, is the local government just not going to help them do it. And that's pretty much what it comes down to. That was, again, very, very broad overview of what SB 54 was. And so this is kind of almost retali- retaliatory. Um, in terms of why the state is suing Huntington Beach and why they're making them an example, because there's other cities in the in the state that have failed to meet these goals as well. So why did they choose Huntington Beach? It's likely that's why they did it. So it's a political game by the governor. Um, Huntington Beach is an Orange County. It tends to be more conservative, and so and of course we know that this state overall is very very liberal. They have a you know, a uber majority in both the assembly and the state Senate um, over, you know, both exceeding 70% of the total um, seats in each, in each uh, chamber. So again, to me, it's all about political, it's a political ball game and it's, it's a, it's a battle between state and local rights. And, um, you know, you, they're using this housing element thing as a way to punish Huntington beach basically coughing up legal uh, fees and put throwing their money their name through the mud and so it'll be interesting to see how how what how that plays out but that is my suspicion as to why um, they're doing it and I just I, I, I hate it um, I think it's petty and I think it's um, a waste of taxpayers dollars because now you're gonna be wasting money on both sides both state dollars and local dollars for Huntington Beach to defend themselves and that is that is ridiculous that they have to do that. The other article I wanted to talk about <clears throat> is the uh, the truth in accounting. It came out with their 2019 financial state of the cities, and so they looked at the 75 largest cities by population in the United States and ranked them um, in terms of their cost, either their financial burden or surplus per resident. So they took. They looked at financial data from their comprehensive annual financial reports, which they actually used the 2017 numbers because um, states, some some cities are still 
in the process of finalizing their 18 numbers. And then, of course, Truth in Accounting has to get that information and analyze it and things like that to put that information out. And for the second year in a row, actually, I think for the third year in a row, um, the city of Irvine here in California was ranked number one in terms of surplus. So they had the highest surplus per resident of the 75 largest cities in the United States. Um, Irvine, again, in Orange County, um, a conservative area, although um, they actually are a little more democratic um, than other areas in Orange County in terms of their overall politics. Um, they have been shifting towards the democratic side for some time. But um, nonetheless, they, they are financially healthy. Um, it's a very wealthy area. Um, a lot of um, you know high-end housing, a lot of expensive housing, so it generates a lot of property tax. Um, they you know generate good sales tax. They have some um, high-end auto dealers, um, shopping centers, things like that. So and they're, they're a well-run city in terms of um, fiscal conservancy. Um, very little debt. Um, in term, relatives, relatively speaking, they don't have fire service. Um, their fire service is provided by the county. Um, they incorporated in 1971, so actually the county was already servicing them um, prior to their incorporation, so they just kept it like that. And so the property tax related to fire service goes directly to the county fire authority, um, and so they only have their own police department. So they do have their own police department, so when you don't have a fire department that is going to lower your um, burden for your pensions quite a bit because now the pensions that their firefighters get aren't paid for directly by when they, they are paid for by the Irvine taxpayer, but they aren't accounted for in the city of Irvine's books because and that's the same thing if you contract out for services. There's a lot of cities in California that contract for both police and fire. And so they'll contract with the county sheriff for police and the county fire authority or maybe even a, a neighboring city uh, for fire service. And because of that, the pensions that those the officers and firefighters that are working in their city will show up in the books of the county or the fire authority and not in the books of the um, of the local jurisdiction, the city, even though they are paying for it in their contract. Their contracts have been going up steadily every year because their pension burdens are still there. They're still paying for it. They just don't have to, to recognize them in their books. So then you look at their financial statements, their liabilities are really low because they don't have to show that numbers. They're not required to show those numbers, even though the reality is, is that they are absolutely paying for them. And so they now look more financially healthy than the cities that have their own police and fire departments. So it's not an apples to apples comparison at, at all. Um, and so the, the county looks like it has all this debt and burden, things like that, but they have to keep all these staff on, on board because they're servicing cities that they're contracting with, but they show the full burden of that liability on their own financial statements. So that brings us to the city of Stockton. City of Stockton in July of 2012 declared bankruptcy at the time they were the largest city in the United States to declare it until a few months later when the city of Detroit um, declared bankruptcy and um, they actually according to the numbers and truth in accounting have a surplus only a few years after exiting bankruptcy so these are again the the, the financial statements for the fiscal year ending June 30th 
2017. Their bank, they exited bankruptcy in May of 2015. So we are to believe that they turned their financial woes around through this bankruptcy plan in only two years. Okay. So let's look at the numbers, shall we? This is directly from the Truth in Accounting website. It's actually the statedatalab.org, but that's where truth, it's a project of the Truth in Accounting. So their methodology, let's go back, let's take a step back. How do they calculate a deficit or a, excuse me, a, sur- a surplus? So what they do is they look in their financial statements, what most cities have, which is called a comprehensive annual financial report. And they look at the city's government-wide statements that just encompasses everything that they do, both general government, you know, police, fire, libraries, parks, things like that. And they also that also takes into account any utilities they may have, water, sewer, trash, electricity in some cases. And they take the, the total of all of those things, and they look at the total assets, and then they back out their capital assets. So anything like land, buildings, roads, things like that, bridges, any type of infrastructure that have a long-term need, but you can't easily convert those into cash. You could theoretically sell a building or sell some land, but for the most part, those aren't really available to um, to, to pay off debt if you, need, if you need to. You usually use liquid assets, cash investments, things like that. And then they identify the total bills, and they, they define the total bills as all their liabilities. So accounts payable, bonds, and of course pension and health, retiree health care benefit debt, which is calculated based on rules by the Governmental Accounting Standards Board. So they, they have certain reporting requirements of how you, how, they set the rules on how you report these things and how you calculate them. And there's certain, um, you know, obviously with pension debt, it's more of an art than a science because you're predicting what the future value of benefits that have been earned to this date are. So you look at, you know, okay, you have a policeman, you know, that's 35 years old. How much has he earned up to this point and how much is he going to earn in the future? How much we're going to have to pay for him in the future? And then you use a discount rate to discount it back to today's dollars. You know, the basically, you know, kind of investment type math. And they have to do that for everybody in the system. So it's very, very, you know, you have to, you know, okay, we're going to, we think he's going to make more, you know, they're going to get uh, raises of two or 3% a year and he's going to retire at this certain age and he's going to live this certain age. And so based on that, we need to have this X amount of dollars set aside. We think we're going to make X amount on the uh, investments, all these types of things. There's all these different calculations that go to that number. Okay. So that number that they calculate as far as how much you owe for your pension. So how much more your pensions are worth today, the, the benefits earned to date versus how much money you actually have to pay them. So if you, if you, let's say your, um, your pension, everything that people have earned to this date discounted today's dollars, $500 million. So I need to have $500 million set aside today to be able to then, in addition to what I'm going to be paying in the future to pay the benefits that have been earned toward to today. Okay. I know that's very complicated, but that's hopefully everyone understands that. And let's say, so let's say it's 500 million 
and let's say you have three hundred million to pay those um, debts, that means you have a what you have a unfunded liability of two hundred million dollars. So you need, in addition to collecting all the money in the future that you need to pay, you have to make up that extra two hundred million um, that you haven't that you haven't put aside to the to this point either because you haven't contributed enough or because your investments have fallen short or because people are living longer than they thought and they have to adjust those number, the, that liability of earned money up because obviously if we believe that you're only going to live five years past retirement, we don't have to put as much money aside as if we think you're going to live 25 years past retirement, right? The more we think you're going to live past retirement, the more money we've got to set aside to begin with. So that's that's kind of the kind of the, some of the assumptions that you have to work with. So you add up all those things, but then they say, since we remove capital assets from the computation of assets available to pay bills, they also tracked the debt related to the financing of the capital assets. Well, if I buy a billion dollars worth of assets and I issue a billion dollars worth of debt to pay for those assets and I don't have enough money to pay those debts, why should that be not, why, how is that not a burden on the taxpayer? They still have to pay that and they're going to have to pay it from the assets that are available. You can't, because of depreciation and because of the very nature of, of, gov of, of, of government assets. If I have a street and there's a value to that street, right, that's on my balance sheet and government require, government accounting requires you to put a value on that street, not just the pavement on that street, but the land Streets are land that are owned by the city. That is actual land that is owned by the city and is on their balance sheet. The value of that land is on their balance sheet. But the reality is, is that if you have a street, can, can you really sell that to somebody? In most cases, no. It's not going to have any value to somebody else outside of the government. So you can't really liquidate that asset. I mean, I guess you could put a toll booth in and, you know, charge tolls to use that street, but that would seem like kind of ridiculous for the most part though you're not going to do that and um so you have this land that you acquired for a street and now you issue debt to acquire to to build it to acquire that land and then build it and build the street now you have a street and you have houses around it and businesses you're not going to be able to sell that street later to pay off that debt if you don't have enough money to pay it so the 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 methodology i think is flawed when you talk about total bills and some, because some cities just use cash, they don't issue issue debt. In the case of Irvine, for the most part, they don't have a lot of capital asset related debt because they haven't done that. The city of Stockton has a significant amount, and it actually makes no sense of how they calculated these numbers. Because listen, the city of Stockton has two point one billion dollars worth of assets. Now let's call it two point two billion. 1.5 billion of, of which is capital assets. So you subtract out that 1.5 billion, that leaves you about 600 million. Then you take out restricted assets because restricted assets can't be used for that purpose of paying off these general debts. Um, so then you get down to $526 million available for paying bills. So now let's look at the bills that the city has accumulated, the debts. So you have bonds of 377 million. You have other liabilities, you know, accounts payable, ongoing little debts, things like that, of 183 million. Then 
you have you subtract out debt related to capital assets which they have down is 758 million dollars now when you have debt related to capital assets normally in 99.99% of the cases those are through bonds so i don't know how you can subtract out 3 quarters of a mil, of a billion dollars 757 758 million dollars when you have bonds of only 377 million so basically you now have a negative liability then they add in the pension liability of 468 million dollars to get to a grand total of 271 million dollars that makes zero sense zero i don't know how they calculate this number but it really makes me question now the data that is being presented for every single city on the survey so because you only have debts of 271 million you have a surplus of 255 million dollars or a taxpayer or, or each taxpayer share of the surplus of $2,500. Now, the numbers are incorrect. And I thought that maybe this is an anomaly. They screwed up. They, there was some kind of error in their formula. But they did the exact same thing last year. Now, why would truth in accounting if they call them, especially when they, since they call themselves truth in accounting, why would they report this information incorrectly? Unless it's a mistake, which it very well could be. Maybe the numbers need to be revised. Because looking at their, their, their even looking at their financial statements, there's no way some of these numbers can make sense. There's, there's zero chance that that happening. So where are these numbers coming from? Why are they presented this way? Well, I would argue if, if, if indeed this was done it purposely this way, I would argue because they are right wing, they are right leaning. And we've talked about this before. The right tends to not like government so much. And so anything they can do to make government look bad, um, they're going to do. Remember, Stockton declared bankruptcy. I think they want to see more cities in that situation because they believe that will show how poorly these, these cities are running. And who's running most of these cities? Democrats. The ones that rank the worst in their study are Chicago, uh, San Francisco, New York, L.A., the big giant cities that are all dominated by Democrats. Now, that's not to say that those cities are exactly the bastions of financial stability and financial responsibility, okay? I'm not arguing that at all. There is a lot of validity to that, but you don't need to make up crap just to prove that point. Stockton declares bankruptcy in 2012 because they just deadened themselves into oblivion. They built, they, they revitalized their downtown. They used RDA money to do it, which is tax increment financing, which counts on 
property values going up to pay off the debt. Well, the the they issued all this debt, and lo and behold, the recession hits. The all that all those properties, all that land loses its value, and there's no more money to pay the bills. And by the way, they also had very generous health retiree health benefits, which were wiped completely out as a result of the bankruptcy. They didn't touch the pensions. The pensions are still um, intact, fully intact from when it was in bankruptcy. But they did eliminate the um, the 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 retiree health care completely. So their their actual number is is zero. They actually have um, zero as their unfunded retiree health care because they did eliminate it. They obviously also um, renegotiated some of their debt. Um, you know, restructured their debt. They still have debt, um, and they're paying it off, but they don't have nearly the debt they did um, prior to their declaration of bankruptcy. It wasn't like San Bernardino, which San Bernardino actually didn't have a lot of debt. Theirs was a structural deficit. They just spent themselves into oblivion rather than indebting themselves into oblivion. And that's a lot harder issue to fix because... When you talk about bankruptcy, a lot of it's trying to restructure debt, right? That's that's a big part of bankruptcy. But if there's no debt to restructure, what do you do? You've built up these services that you've tried to build in the city that, by the way, they're not delivering because San Bernardino is a, is a crap hole. But yet they have no debt to show for it. Where do you turn? I mean, that was it was, it was one of those things where I'm watching this happening and I'm like, how are they going to get out of this? Because there's no debt to just impair. It's not like they're, you know, if you eliminate their debt payments, a lot of the problem goes away. That's not the way it worked at all in San Bernardino. So anyway, I digress. But bottom line is, these numbers are not accurate. So I would submit that I think that there's some, if if this is not a mistake, then the, there's an ulterior motive here. And I don't understand exactly what it is, but I suspect that it's, Stockton declares bankruptcy, and lo and behold, by some miracle, it fixes their problems. And <clears throat> because they actually put in some fiscal restraints. And by doing that, it for- the bankruptcy forced them to do that. And that was kind of the point. I hope that it's objective. There's, there's, there's a reasoning for this, and it's just a mistake. But it is horrible. It is horrible. Because they talk about how most cities don't have enough resources to pay their bills. They talk about these large cities, Chicago... San Francisco, New York, happening run by Democrats, all are the worst financial in the financial shape. Now, that, like I said, that could that is that could be very well the case. That is true that those cities have major financial issues, and a lot of it's because of their politics. But it's just a matter of the accuracy of some of the numbers that they're reporting, and I don't agree with what they're trying to do ultimately if they're trying to say to call themselves truth and accounting. I think they need, to, they need to sharpen their pencil a little bit. So hopefully this podcast goes viral to expose what is going on here at truth and accounting. So if you want to tag truth and accounting in, this, in, in the comments to this show, please do it, and hopefully they'll listen. Maybe they'll reach out and they'll say, hey, you know what? We screwed up. We looked at the numbers again, and you're right. They, they weren't what they should be. But these numbers are not right. I can guarantee you that they are not correct. 
they, there's the, the the way that the data is presented. There's no way it this can be accurate. It doesn't make any sense at all. So, anyway, <coughs> hopefully that was not a too much of a in the weeds lecture. But thank you for joining me on the uh, Moderate Podcast uh, this week. Um, we are at once again www.themoderatepodcast.com. We are on Facebook and Twitter. I gave you those at the beginning of the show, but the easiest way to get us on either one of those is uh, through the website. If you're listening through Twitter or Facebook and you want to subscribe through our podcast uh, platforms, we're on all of them. We have about a dozen that we link to on the show, um, on the on the website, and on our Anchor.fm page. But um, if you want to do, you, you can get us on any of the major ones. So just look for us there. We are even on iHeartRadio. So check us out there. So that's it for this week. Um, please enjoy the Super Bowl. Please enjoy it responsibly. Get back to work on Monday all in one piece, or maybe Tuesday if you overdo it. Um, I won't. I won't. I won't look at you funny if you do. But uh, until uh, until next week, go Rams, and we'll see you next week on the Modern Podcast. Until then, I'm Jimmy Davis. Keep it real. Mm-hmm.